Welcome to our special year-end edition. It's time for the most highly sought-after awards uh, in really the entire world to get handed out today. No, it's not the Oscars or the Grammys or the Emmys. It's the Corner Kick Awards for the second year in a row. We will go over all the categories that you know and love, uh, giving our takes and mailing out uh, physical awards to these players who generally uh, shower us with praise uh, when they receive them. How do we get their addresses? Don't ask. Uh, I'm Nathan Strauss, joined by Caleb Rhodes. Hello. And Nick Govindan here uh, on this fine show. Hello, hello. Welcome to our Chris Rock, Will Smith moment. Does that mean, am I the one who gets slapped in that case? I think it might be. I think, you know, some player is going to be, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is going to be upset that he's not winning comeback player of the year two years in a row and he's going <laughs> to you know, get up on the stage and karate kick you into oblivion. Can we also talk about what our, like, Chia pet looks like this year? I was thinking, like, it could be, like, Angolo Conte's head. I just think it'd be funny to have, like, a bald player that has hair. But Or it could, be, um, it could be Pep Guardiola. Uh, Pep Guardiola. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I like I like doing Pep or like Pioli, just some bald, bald middle-aged man. Zidane, Zidane, <laughs> <laughs> or it's just like the Ballon d'Or. It's just like a soccer ball with with grass. Whatever, we should we should probably get into it. I'll I'll turn it back to our our soon to be assaulted host, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'll just keep an eye out or an ear out, I guess. <laughs> but um, we're gonna start big. Uh, as they tend to do, you know, to draw you in at the Oscars. Like, they give you, they start off with, like, Best Supporting Actor, because uh, obviously they save Best Picture for last, but we do it a little differently. Uh, we're going to start off with Player of the Season. Now, these awards encompass, in theory, the entire world, and I'm pretty sure, without having seen all of our ballots, that we're going to come to a consensus on this one. Do you want to do a 3-2-1 uh, type deal? Yeah. For this one, uh, at least? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can we can do it like that. So three, two, one. Kareem Benzema. Yeah, there we go. So it was indeed unanimous, <laughs> and uh, this was like just an incredibly easy decision. I think. Yeah, I mean, he had what I think he had the most goals in Europe. Um, he also won the most important competitions he can win and dominated teams single-handedly on the way to those things. So he there's no criteria that he didn't meet this year. Like it's not one of these, oh, you know, Messi scored 90 goals, but only won like a Copa del Rey. No, this guy topped every chart and won everything. Case closed. The, the actual winner, yeah, I mean, the actual winner of the European Golden Shoe was Lewandowski the only player to score more goals than him uh, in Europe in the big five leagues were Kylian Mbappe who plays in a farmer's league and Chiro Immobile uh, and I think you know Lewandowski gets the benefit of being on a team that regularly puts like seven or eight goals past other teams a couple times a year 
I think Benzema did a lot more in terms of carrying the load. Well, right, and there's no better articulation of this than El Clasico this season where Barcelona win 4-0 with Karim Benzema not even touching the pitch. Real Madrid looked like a completely different team without him, and yet with him, they're able to you know, withstand barrages against Chelsea and against PSG, two of the most expensively assembled squads in, in Europe at the moment, and he's able to you know, completely dismantle them just in mere moments. Now, the, you know, the argument that Benzema isn't the player of the season just based on the things that he's able to do moment to moment in these big game situations, it's unlike anything that I think we've seen recently just in terms of his clutch ability and also his you know, prolific nature scoring this season. Now, he had 40 goals by April in all competitions. So this is someone who I think has stepped out of the shadow completely of Cristiano Ronaldo at Real Madrid, is going to win the Ballon d'Or off the back of winning the Champions League this season, and yeah, fully deserves. And I think, you know, this is another thing, you know, this is someone who's rightfully so, you know, embroiled in a lot of personal controversy and has been for the past few years. And this has felt like, you know, sort of somewhat of a, whether it's deserved or not, certainly it is on the field of play, a full circle, you know, redemption for him as as a professional. Yeah, I mean, he played so well in the past few years that he got brought back in from the cold to the France team. So that that says a lot. I do wonder though. I, I figured we would have consensus, and we did on this one. Did I? Did you guys have like some like honorable mentions for any of these, just to like shake it up slightly? No, I no. did not. Not okay. for not for player of the season. I think okay. it was so clear cut this year because yeah. this is really the first year in our lifetime as soccer fans where neither Ronaldo or Messi could really have been considered amongst like the top five players in the world in terms of like their achievements. Cause even last year, Messi was still like in what was a down year for him with Barcelona. He was still putting up superlative numbers that were just far and away better than anyone else in the world. And this year he dropped off. And obviously I think Ronaldo is now a couple of years away from or, or years removed rather. So it's made, you know, like with Lewandowski a few years ago, it's made it made the decision incredibly easy to not have the greatest players of our generation be competing for this award this year, if that makes sense. It does. All right. This should be a fun one. I think we might not have necessarily a consensus for this one. Uh, it is signing of the season. Caleb, I think it's only fair that you go first for this one. Uh, given that Barcelona have made more transfers than uh, Arsenal and Liverpool combined. So you're well acquainted with the transfer market. Yes, although I don't think any of Barcelona's players were were signings of the season, unfortunately. Although we had a few good ones in there, for sure. My signing of the season, though, and this it took me a while to whittle it down, um, and I have a few names on my piece of paper right now, and I'm, I'm actually kind of deciding this moment, but I am deciding to go with Tammy Abraham, Chelsea to Roma, scored something like 25 goals in all competitions, led Roma to, you know, the UEFA Conference League trophy, kind of proved the the doubters wrong and certainly had a better season than the man who kind of replaced him at Chelsea um, in Lukaku. And so I think in terms of hitting the ground running and becoming, you know, an important focal point and leader to a club, Tammy Abraham to, to Roma 
is my signing of the season. Nick. Nick. My signing of the season is a player who arrived in the Premier League in January while this club were facing somewhat of, you know, a downturn in form. Their players looked a bit exhausted and he rejuvenated this dressing room completely. He rejuvenated the the tip of the spear of this club's attack. He is the first ever Colombian to don the historic shirt of Liverpool Football Club. My signing of the season is the electric Luis Diaz. Very interesting, because that's not where I thought that you were going to go when you said it was a January arrival in the Premier League, because my signing of the season is also a January arrival into the Premier League. Well, sort of a a re-arrival, if you will, Um, a return of sorts. That is uh, Christian Eriksen to Brentford. And I wondered a little bit about uh, Tammy Abraham and Fikayo Tamori were both my next choices, but it was kind of hard. Like, I felt like Tamori didn't really count after having been on loan before. The Abraham was, was, my, was my other choice. I had Abraham. I was like vacillating between Abraham and, and Diaz. Yeah. My, I mean, my big issue with my big issue with, with Abraham uh, is that he was more expensive so it's sort of like you expect a little bit more. I think it's a good example of how we all have different criteria. But uh, Christian Eriksen arrived at Brentford uh, and was just instantly the best player in their squad. Uh, I think it was also sort of a remarkable comeback story. And I think it's possible that we see his name mentioned for comeback player of the season later on. But Brentford were comfortably safe in the Prem, despite many predictions uh, to the contrary. And it was great to see him back on the pitch. I do think both Abraham and Diaz were great shouts. And I think Luis Diaz could be a terror on the Prem uh, in years to come. Yeah, my my reason for picking Diaz is I have never seen a player just get up to speed and earn the trust of both his teammates and his manager so quickly. You know, the Liverpool system is, you know, while it looks like just a lot of high energy effort at times, it is a very complicated system to learn, you know, it took Fabinho about four months to get up to speed. He was out of the team in his first season. Um, there are several other Liverpool players, Andy Robertson, who it's taken a while for them to get up to full speed with how Klopp likes to deploy his side. Diaz, from the moment he arrived in Liverpool, was integrated into the team, and he did his all in order to you know maintain his spot. And he became a fixture of that front three, you know, the best front three Liverpool has to offer right now. And sadly, I don't think we're ever going to see it again since Sadio Mane is going to be departing the club. Is Diaz, Mane, and Salah. And Luis Diaz scored four goals and had three assists in the Premier League in the second half of the season, which is a very good return for a new signing. And I think he, without him, you know, the chase for the quadruple would not have gone on for as long as it did because I think he really re-energized this team coming off of a few, you know, a few not-so-great performances and results in January. Caleb, do you have anything else on this category or should we announce the next winner? Uh, I, th- I think I'm pretty good. I mean, I think those are both. I, I, I didn't consider Diaz just because while he sort of bedded in really well, I do. part of me still thinks that Liverpool would have basically got to the same place in the end without him. Um, I think next season when he has his first full season, obviously he has a lot more responsibility without Mane. 
will kind of see his his true value but i don't think that he was as central as either Erickson um, in helping Brentford stay up and just elevating the squad entirely or Tammy in terms of, you know, being their main offensive person, but still a good, a good signing, a good signing, but signing of the season, probably not. I also considered, uh, I also considered Olivier Giroud, but eventually, uh, you know, just because he, he was good and free, but Milan had an embarrassment of riches in attack. Uh, yeah. but my, my we, other my other one was Chalhanoglu, um, who was, was very good for Inter, even though they did not win the league. I'm open to giving this to, to either one of Ericsson or Tammy, so I will leave it up to you both to decide. I think we can send out two awards. Okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah we're not think... limited by the, you know, the general structure of yeah, we we create kick. we create the rules. Like we literally can decide to do whatever we want. Like we could give out like eight awards if we really wanted to. Um, no, no, we need we need like. Did you guys ever watch? I think it was on like History Channel, and it would be like, I, I don't know, it's like Warrior something, and they would like basically simulate how different like warriors from different eras and like cultures would like match up against each yeah. other. Yeah, so it'd be like here's ten thousand Spartans against one tank. <laughs> or, or it'd uh, yeah. be like it'd be like a gladiator versus like a, a celt or something like that. yeah and they had you know? all of the different landscapes too so you could yeah. simulate it like what if it took place at like the battle of thermopylae so you had to like deal with like a bottleneck it was really weird it was one of those shows that was just like on at like 10 in the morning on thursdays so you would like watch it when you were like homesick those were the days i've never seen the show in my life I, i've never even heard of it it sounds phenomenal. I, I don't remember what it's called, but I'm just imagining us like having a, a fight to the death over who gets their uh, Pep Guardiola <laughs> head-shaped chia pet. <laughs> exactly. We put the players in a sort of like FIFA pre-like loading screen style, like yes, like yes, yes. arena. Yeah. Anyways, or eleven v eleven. <laughs> right, but like, what what eleven Luis Diaz's yeah. beat like eleven Tammy Abraham's? Yeah, we could do like not. an FM, FM simulator of uh, yeah, of like on like our Facebook or something of yeah. of eleven Luis much, Diaz's okay. eleven. Sorry, Tammy much Abraham. to I, I consider. Too much. Yeah. Nathan. No, much much to consider. Uh, but I think our next category has a couple of front runners. I'm curious to see where you both landed. Nick, we'll let you go first. It's time for flop of the season. Lads, you know when you leave somewhere and you know you're not really sure about whether or not you want to you want to leave this place, but you leave anyways cuz you think, you know, you're going to to greater pastures, the money might be a bit better, and then you get there and you feud with your German manager and then you schedule an unsanctioned press or you, un- you schedule an unsanctioned interview with a media outlet from the country that you wish to go back to saying that you miss their fans and you wish you weren't at the current club that you were at. Well, that is what happened to Romelu Lukaku this season in what has to go down as one of the all-time most scandalous transfer sagas, just in the way that he totally shunned the Chelsea fans who had eagerly anticipated his return. He, they thought that he was going to be the man that finally provided them with the consistent goal scoring that Thomas Tuchel's side seemed to have lacked for all of last season. Instead, he does not do that. He has plagued with injuries throughout the campaign. 
He only has one real notable performance away at Aston Villa before the release of the interview. And it was just overall a disaster and a public farce and a, a stain on both his career and you know the, the club Chelsea as a whole. And now there are reports coming out that he wants a budget loan move back to Inter, but his wages are too much for you know the Italian club to afford right now. And so he's totally caught in limbo right now in his career because I don't think you know, Chelsea fans want to see him in their kits again next season. But yeah, for a transfer that was worth over $100 million this season, I mean, totally horrendous. And I think Lukaku has to be considered the flop of the season. Nathan, do you want to go second? Yeah, I'll go second. Nick, I mean, I think Lukaku was one of the two clear frontrunners, and my choice was instead Jack Grealish because, and here's why, Lukaku, at the end of the day, still led Chelsea in goals, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it speaks to Chelsea's underperformance, but also to maybe the fact that Lukaku was like slightly better on aggregate than most of his performance would have suggested. Uh, Jack Grealish obviously finally got his move away from Aston Villa to oil-rich, nation-state-funded uh, Manchester City, where he kind of just proceeded to do like fuck all for like the entire season. And it's kind of shocking because he was so good at Aston Villa. Like he was probably responsible for 15 points for that club in any given season. And instead, this year, he had three goals and three assists in the league, two goals in the FA Cup, and then uh, one goal and one assist in the Champions League. So under 10 goal involvements in almost 50 games this season for Man City. That, to me, plus his massive price tag, an English record price tag, is why I have him as flop of the season. A close 1A to Lukaku's 1B. Interesting. I think these these are both these are both takes. My flop of the year is a kind of different uh, different energy. Um, my flop of the year is uh, Aaron Ramsey, um, who I know he was injured for part of the year, but in mid year, you know, moved from Juventus, where he'd been kind of poor for the past few years. I would say. Um, already kind of in flop territory, went to Rangers where he barely played, barely started. And honestly, his only major contribution to the season was coming on as a late sub in the Europa League final and missing the penalty that lost Rangers the game. So I know he didn't cost a ton of money, but his contributions were almost entirely negligible or negative. And I think at least in the case of Lukaku, as you said, Nathan, he was the top scorer. So that's worth something. And in Jack Grealish's case, um, you know, I think he did underperform, but was he a, a total flop? No, I mean, he's never been a volume scorer. So, you know, even a return of six or seven goals is like fairly in line with him. And I think City just plays so differently. Um, and have you know so much more possession than Aston Villa that I think it makes sense that it will take him a little time to bet in. So I don't think he was great. He probably didn't live up to his value or how much his transfer fee was, but I don't think he was a full-on flop um, in the same way. 
that Aaron Ramsey was by basically only losing his team a tournament. I kind of like that, Nick. What, what what what's your take? How many how many trophies are we sending out this time? I think we should send out trophies to all three because I think all three of these were disastrous for a variety of reasons. Uh, Aaron Ramsey obviously missing that crucial penalty against Frankfurt to deny Rangers a first European trophy in you know forever. And I think Lukaku and Grealish were both moves over a hundred million, so two of the highest value transfers of all time. Two transfers that both fan bases were hoping would, you know, shift the paradigm of both of their clubs and were both both really underwhelming, I think. And I think both I think Grealish has way more of a future at Man City than Lukaku does, who looks like he's looking for the exit door. And I think this is this is a rare opportunity for us to reward all three of these players with a a, a corner kick Chia Pet. Caleb, any objections to sending out all three? No, I, I think there like is was... this award though. It needs to be different, right? Because it's it's kind of like the what's what's the equivalent that's like making fun of the worst movies? The Razzles, is that Razzies. one? Razzies, Razzies, yeah, that, yeah. It needs to be like what's the opposite of a, a Guardiola Chia pet? A Mourinho. Chia I was gonna pet. say. I was gonna say. <laughs> 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 I just said a chia pet of Jose. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. So they I, I do want to. I do want to shout out some other. Uh, I, I'm. I obviously to, to to get this award. I looked at transfer marked, and looked at. You know, I sorted all the transfers by value. I do think there could have been some consideration for Jaden Sancho, uh, for Rafael Varane, for Antoine Griezmann. And also, maybe even for Dio Upamakano, uh, in terms of underproducing relative to transfer fees. Wijnaldum. Yeah, but the I mean, but the majority of those players are still young enough. Where Wijnaldum was on my list. Wijnaldum yeah. Wait. Also, can we say how list. how is Grealish worse than Jaden Sancho? Riddle me that. Because he because he cost fifty million more or forty million more. Not really. Sancho and also Grealish and and Grealish, yeah, and and Grealish cost 130 million. No, he did not. I'm literally Jeez. looking at it right in front of me. What's Sancho? 93 million. Are you looking at dollars? Yeah, in U.S. dollars. Oh, okay, okay. So but, he cost, but the drop he in cost production. 40 million more. Yeah, but also but San- Grealish Sancho did went that from under like... Pep. Grealish did it under Pep, and and Sancho did it under. Sancho uh, was playing at Dortmund. Don't pretend like they were amazing. I don't know. I, I now the more I think about it, Sancho was way worse. Anyone we'll have to send Sancho. Worse. We'll have to send Sancho. I think as you need, well. I think if you want, you can give you can give United as a whole a flop. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty. That's pretty good. No, they they get Itor Karanka Chia pets. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that makes sense, Caleb. I see what you're saying in terms of Sancho, but I also think the Ranić tenure. At United this season was such a disaster. They had such a horrible season from start to finish that any any individual I don't think can be solely held responsible for how much of a train wreck that was. So I'd be okay with giving four four awards, one to Manchester United as a whole. That seems appropriate. Okay, sorry, Nathan. All right, it's time for comeback player of the season. There are a lot of players who made comebacks. I believe this award previously uh, get went to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, 
in our in our first iteration of the Corner Kick Awards. But Nick, who is your pick for comeback player of the season? It can only be one man, and you alluded to this earlier, Nathan. And for me, it's Christian Eriksen. And it's because this is someone who never had to touch a soccer pitch again after what he endured at the Euros, that horrific moment where he goes down with a cardiac arrest. And it's a really solemn, it becomes a really solemn and reflective and scary moment for, I think, all of us, and especially, you know, the Danish national team with their, you know, heroics in terms of, you know, giving him the privacy that he needed in that moment. Um, and his family as well. And this is someone who experienced like one of life's true horrors that day and is someone who came back in under 300 days, signs with a professional club in the you know hardest, I think right now, the pound for pound hardest league to play in in the world, the most difficult, the most competitive. And he completely excels. You know, he turns Brentford, uh, who at that point had lost five of six games in the Premier League, on its head, and they finish well above you know, the relegation zone. They're going to be playing Premier League football next season with a chance to you know, build on their, their finish last season. And whether or not he re-signs for Brentford or he goes you know, back to Tottenham or he goes to uh, Manchester United, which is a rumor right now, or he goes to you know, another club elsewhere, you know, Christian Eriksen this season, um, both his you know, individual perseverance and his heroics on the football pitch are going to be, in my mind, remembered for quite some time. Here, here. I also had Ericsson, um, so I, I don't have very much to add to, to that eloquent speech, Nick. Um, but it just is, it is humanly impressive what, what he has done. Um, and he seems to be in a great place right now, like just very cheerful, very happy. I think maybe we'll get to this later. One of my moments of the year didn't quite, not my final one, but one of my ones was that when uh, Brentford were playing Norwich and um, what was his name? Brandon Williams. It's Brandon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, tackles or Erickson tackles him and they both fall over and, you know, he's getting ready to, to yell at Ericsson as he's kind of like uncoupling their bodies. And then he sees that it's Ericsson and his mood totally changes and he just sort of hugs Ericsson as, as he sort of lifts himself from the pitch. So I think this is this is a feel-good story. He also came back strong, you know, he played incredibly well. Um, so that's great. My honorable mention for this, just because I figured Ericsson was going to you know, get the plaudits, although we still have Nathan to go, was Joel Matip, um, who I thought was excellent for the Liverpool defense this season um, after, you know, shaking off his own injury troubles after the past few years and, you know, surpassing new signings um, and even Virgil van Dijk, perhaps, in, in the Liverpool center-back pecking order this year. Yeah, my, I, second, my second pick would have been Virgil van Dijk, who I think played above his level even of that of two years ago at points in this season after sustaining a season-ending injury to his ACL last year and that really dramatic Everton game and this season he comes back and he looks like he's you know not even missing a step you know his recovery pace is still there his in-game intelligence is still you know one of the best 
in all of soccer. And in my mind, both Matip and Van Dyke would have been good shouts for this award had it not had Ericsson not, you know, done essentially the superhuman. Yeah. Mine is also Christian Eriksen. Uh, my my sort of honorable mention would have been Vitaly Mikolenko of Everton, not necessarily because of coming back from an injury, but he and other Ukrainian players obviously were playing through sort of emotional hardship during the second half of the season. And he ended up featuring in a couple of, of games for Everton that ended up saving them from the drop, basically. But I do think it's hard to compare sort of different types of struggles. And also Christian Eriksen returned to play at, you know, basically his old level. Uh, and, you know, for all the reasons we've already mentioned, ended up uh, doing quite well. I'm excited to see what we do for this one or what we say for this one, because we've bickered in the past about the criteria for best young player. However, it's time to announce our nominees and recipients for the best young player of the season. Caleb, you're the oldest one of us, but you get the first <laughs> crack at best young player of the season. Yes. Um, and I, I'm still young enough to, to qualify for these young player awards for at least a few more months, which is horrifying to say. But my young player of the year winner, and I do not relish saying this but uh, <laughs> but it has to be vinicius um you know he displaced you know gareth bale who admittedly didn't really want to play and and hazard um who seemingly was actually fit for much of this year to sort of nail down that left wing spot in the madrid front three he had over 20 goals and over 20 assists this year. Massive growth from him. He scored the winner in a Champions League final. He completely changed, you know, Kareem Benzema's perspective on him. Remember, you know, 12 months ago, Benzema was saying, whatever you do, do not pass him the ball. Um, he's still only 21. And his impact, his skill, his ability has made him, you know, not just the best young player this year but easily a top 10 footballer right now. Nathan? Yeah, it's kind of hard because I think, I think, you know, Vinicius is clearly the better choice, but I'm going to pull, you know, as Nick brought in Diaz earlier, I felt obliged to throw in an Arsenal player uh, and bring in Bukayo Saka, who I think that if you put him head-to-head -head with Vinicius, Vinicius is the better player. But Saka, at the age of 19, led Arsenal in almost every significant statistical category, uh, including goals, assists, expected goals, expected assists, non-penalty goals, and expected assists. He was the only uh, player uh, to be nominated for both the Young Player of the Year Award and Premier League Player of the Year Award, although, as we'll talk about in our next category, that's not necessarily like the greatest attribute. But Saka was far and away, he was also Arsenal's player of the season. He was far and away the best player, you know, at the age of 19 on a team that overperformed. Uh, and for that reason, it's crazy to think, you know, that he's still only 19 years of age. And so obviously he didn't win a trophy, didn't score the winner in a Champions League final. Uh, but Saka would be my recipient 
of this year's Young Player of the Year award. Vinny, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your play just hypnotize me. <laughs> and I just love your flashy ways. Guess that's why they broke and I designed a new contract with Real Madrid until 2027 for over 200K. And I, yeah, Vinicius is my player of the season. Um, I'm just going to echo everything that Caleb said. I think his maturation into one of the most valuable assets in all of soccer, as it was reported today, He's, you know, the, uh, the third most valuable player in the world as of right now. And scoring the winner in the Champions League final against um, the favorites, I think, going into that game. And being you know, regaining the trust of Benzema after a really embarrassing moment for him. And, you know, his finishing has greatly improved. And he's only going to go on to become a figure, um, a perennial figure for Real Madrid and the Brazil national team going forward. I think it's fair if we send out just one trophy for this one, given the the the, the ascendancy of Vinicius into superstardom. Uh, Saka, you know, is a valiant uh, runner-up in my opinion. He has a few more years to win it. So yeah, and hopefully with a better supporting cast too. Like in theory, if he had an actual striker instead of Lacazette, you know, to finish off some of those expected assists, he could turn them into you know actual assists. Uh, that brings us to a fun category, I think. Another one where I doubt we'll have any sort of consensus. And that is the underrated player of the year. Who wants to go first for this one? I think I'll Nick go first. Can go. Yeah. yeah, I went last. My underrated player of the year is Pierre Kalulu, 21-year-old, right back from AC Milan, who played his 28 games this season in Milan's title bid at center back alongside Fakayo Tsumori. And you're wondering, hmm, Nick, that seems like kind of an odd pick. Well, this, this is someone who played out of position for the majority of AC Milan's title-winning campaign against a player who is, you know, probably better than him all around, but is a natural center back, came in as a high-profile transfer to Milan, and you know, is someone who I think is was the talk of all of Syria this season. And so for Pierre Kalulu, someone who you probably haven't heard much about to finish in the top percentile in every single defensive statistic here on FB Ref, my FB Ref chart right here, he finished top in interceptions, in blocks, in passing out of the back. This is someone who is so well-rounded, um, who AC Milan signed quite unheraldedly from Lyon in 2020, and who just has come in and been an extremely overly consistent force for Pioli next to Tamori this season. And for me, is my underrated player of the year. Caleb, you go next. Sure. Um, I, you know, it's interesting, like, what the criteria is for underrated player of the year. Um, but because, for instance, the player I'm about to name is very rated except by it seems the like media class of England um and that is you know Premier League co top scorer second in the league in combined goals and assists Hunmin San who somehow was not included in the player of the year shortlist 
So he's, I guess, insane. by that Just definition, uh, he's underrated because the top <laughs> score has there. I, I, I didn't actually look back, but has there ever been a league top scorer who also, what was second in assists or something? Yeah, and um, no penalties either. And and scored zero penalties who was not included in the player of the year shortlist. I, I don't I, think so. I, really I mean, it, so. it seems improbable because it just sounds insane. Like, I don't know for sure, but I would bet a lot that, you know, almost every season, like it's a handful at most, if that, um, of times that a player like this has been left off the board and he's probably been on the short list in previous seasons i imagine for you know lesser performances so it just flabbergasts me that the british press couldn't find it in themselves to to give him you know even a short list appearance and so for that reason he's my underrated player if i was to go for a more nick type you know unheralded player um it would probably be Iker Muniain uh for Bilbao who had probably his one of his best seasons for Bilbao ever as a 29-year-old, scored a great goal against Barcelona in the Copa del Rey, had over 10 assists in the league this year. Um, and I say he's unheralded because he still has not got called up to the Spain squad recently, and I think he deserves you know, at least a look in um, before the World Cup, even if he wouldn't make the final squad. So th- those are my two entries, but Son is definitely my main underrated player of the year because what they've done to him is 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 wrong on on so many levels. It is an injustice of the highest order. <laughs> it's kind of funny. My favorite stat about Son that I found out earlier uh, when I was sort of going through the Spurs squad is that you can basically divide their squad into three pieces. You have Harry Kane, who obviously scores a lot of goals, but also takes all their penalties. You have Son, who scored 23 goals with no penalty involvements. And then you have every single other player in their squad, which is just a crazy stat uh, to think about how, I guess, top-heavy they are. Son is my runner-up. My choice is Christopher Nkunku, who sort of quietly had one of the most like all-around campaigns of anyone in Europe. He was the is second. He underrated now. He I was the second league player of the year. I did he like really? Kept... Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I, I'm sorry. No, I We're not sending counts. him the Chia Pet. Yeah. He's, he's, he's lost. It's Son. No, wait. I have another. I have another entry. <laughs> sorry to cut you off, Nathan, but he did win best player in his. League. I didn't realize that he won best yeah. player in the <laughs> he Bundesliga. Won the Bundesliga player of the year, <laughs> and he was in like every every Bundesliga writer's team of the season. <laughs> It can't be Gunku. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Gunku was one of my contenders for player of the season. I can send you my list. I can send you my list of players. His name is next to Benzema on that piece of paper right now. <laughs> I can, I can, I just, it's... He's perfectly rated. He's not. He's not a secret anymore. The cuckoo name and the cuckoo brand is well established. Oh my god! I'm literally like sweating from <laughs> Nathan. Are you there? Did you crush you? I'm sorry. 
I was so excited to talk about Nkunku. Keep in mind, you guys once laughed me off the stage for saying that he was one of the best strikers in Europe. No, and now and he wasn't. Yeah, four years ago, he wasn't. We This whole season, this has happened like every five episodes where we've been like, damn, Nkunku's been nice. And then you'd be like, see? Like five years ago, I said he was going to be awesome, or he was awesome. We were like, yeah, we agree with you now. In the season when he's the Bundesliga player of the year. Like, no duh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We're just, <laughs> oh my god! Do you want to talk about? You know what, Nathan? Talk. talk we'll give you like 20 seconds to talk about Nkunku. I mean, Nkunku finished basically behind only Lewandowski in the Bundesliga and only Benzema in the Champions League in terms of ratings, uh, expected goals, goals and assists. He had almost 40 goal involvements in the Bundesliga. Uh, you know, playing as a false nine, really carrying the load for. For Leipzig, uh, and hopefully he earns himself a big money move to somewhere. Uh, I think he would look great in uh, in Liverpool red, personally. But yeah, he's my underrated player of the year. I guess maybe incorrectly. Can I can I offer another? Excuse me. Can I offer another player that I was considering for this award? Yes. Well, this is going to be sort of a full circle redemptive moment for me, as. The other player that I was considering for this award is someone who scored 13 goals and had five assists in Serie A this season, transferring in from Watford to fill the void left by Rodrigo de Paul's transfer <laughs> to Atletico Madrid. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is Gerard de la Feu. Who emerged today as one of Napoli's top targets for the summer. I think that's, I think that's a good shout, Nick. I think I think he was definitely one of the contenders who has plotted away at Syria this year, in Syria this season. You know, eighteen goal involved in goal involvements in thirty four games is a very good return for someone coming in from Watford who had been relegated the season prior. I think Delefeu is someone who obviously is a quality player, but his you know overall work ethic, his drive has somewhat been questioned in his career, and I think this could be sort of an, a Serie A in general if he ends up going to Napoli, could be a great place for him to sort of reinvent himself. And I think Syria often is like a good home for players who wilt in the Premier League or La Liga or are too heralded there and have too much attention. Um, so I, that that is a really good shout, Nick. Um, another example of someone like that who's like really thrived in Syria. Um and also as a former Barcelona youth player is someone like Luis Alberto um, at Lazio, who also, you know, drops like 10 goal, 10 assist seasons all the time. Um, so that, that, that is a good one. Um, can we agree though, that the, the Chia pet is going to son though? I think it should be a singular one. I'm going to hold fast here. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Congratulations. Son. How about for manager of the year? This could be another consensus, I think. Uh, do we want to? Do we think we have a consensus here? I don't know. Do we? Uh, so I, I, I maybe, but I don't know. Okay, then in that case, uh, Nick, you go first. I went first last time. Up, uh, just kidding, Caleb, you go first. Nathan, you go first. You know yeah, you go, go first. first, Nathan. Okay, fine. Uh, it is the one and only Carlo Ancelotti who completely changed the fortunes of a team that we thought was going to be uh, maybe quite poor 
this year. I think as evidenced by the fact that in our preview pod, we described them as maybe only marginally better than Everton, uh, where he just left. So, uh, you know, for that and for, you know, the emergence of Vinicius and for, you know, at the end of the day, this coach will have coached, I guess, our, you know, player of the season, our young player of the season, uh, and he will have won La Liga and the Champions League as an underdog. So I think Ancelotti is my vote for manager of the year. Maybe not the most original pick, but uh, I think the pick nonetheless. No, I mean, that was that was mine as well. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple fact that there is there is no there might be a La Liga, but there is no Champions League without this guy. Um, he, I think, made this Madrid team glue together in a way that was a little unexpected to me. I think he wrung as much ability and sort of quality out of the old legs of Modric and Kroos as possible. I think he made some bold um, decisions in terms of his, his squad, you know, barely playing Hazard, even when he was fit. Obviously, Bale, you know, wasn't really a factor anyway. You know, Isco as well, not even trying to rejuvenate him, um, really you know, elevating Kamavinga to the sort of fourth or fifth midfield role over even, you know, Chabayos, who is, is more experienced, although obviously has, I think, not hit the heights. So I think he's made some pretty clear choices and he's helped players grow into the best versions of themselves. And he's been rewarded with two of the, two of the three biggest trophies he could win this year. Um, and definitely the, the first two, with Copa del Rey being kind of more minor in comparison. So I agree. Ancelotti um, has claimed this, this Chiapet in my mind. So there were a few managers who I was considering for this award. I had Eddie Howe, who lifted Newcastle from the bottom of the Premier League into safely around mid-table. You know, having come in with that club, not having a single win on its resume this season. I had Patrick Vieira, who was kind of laughed at when he came into Crystal Palace, and he ended up turning them around into a very technically gifted and hardworking side, you know, finishing well above where everyone thought they were going to finish in the Premier League this season. I had Stefano Pioli, who, when he came in in 2019, was the subject of, you know, very intense you know, skepticism and speculation from the Milan fans. In fact, they created a hashtag, uh, hashtag Pioli out, because they were not convinced of his appointment. And he has won, gone ahead and won them a first Serie A in over 10 years this season. But then Don Carlo raised that one eyebrow and forced my hand, and I had to pick Carlo Ancelotti, the returning hero to Real Madrid, who I, I think I can only echo what you both have said. I have nothing left to offer, but I think the consensus pick for this podcast should definitely be Don Carlo, um, who I think has cemented his case as one of the greatest managers in European history this season. Very well. I think that brings us on to our, uh, our final category. Ancelotti, I'm sure, will be thrilled to be receiving a Pep Guardiola Chia Pet. Uh, Moment of the year. 
this is an interesting one because we typically get three very very different uh types of 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 you know proposals for this but caleb you are up first uh what do you have for moment of the year yes so obviously there are not a ton of moments of the year for me as as a barcelona fan um we were awful for for much of the season and then had to watch our main rivals as you've sort of surmised from listening to our previous award years clean up shop um in europe so when i was thinking of moments of the years moments that brought me joy originally i was thinking of at the beginning of the year when sheriff Teresa spoll um somewhat wondrously uh beat real madrid in the Champions League, two to one, with a ridiculous strike at the end of the game, because that brought me, you know, a little bit of joy. Then I thought about when Barcelona, uh, fairly early in in Xavi's tenure, rolled over Madrid in in vintage style, four um, nil, admittedly without Benzema, but still that was a great moment. But as I thought more, my moment of the year was something it, it wasn't as important a game um it was just a, a premier league game in march but it was when yarmolenko andre yarmolenko came on for his first appearance for west ham since the russian invasion of ukraine began and scored against aston villa um it was a really emotional moment he basically fell to his knees um, with tears in his eyes to celebrate that moment and and his team kind of gathered around him and i think it was just a it was just a powerful moment to see as there were lots of sort of powerful moments of seeing the soccer community rally around ukrainian players um, and against this invasion but so that was my moment was his first game back and scoring a goal for west ham versus aston villa in in mid-march Nicolas Gauvinien, you are yes. up next. All right. Well, I have a personal and also a genuine moment of the year. My personal moment of the year is when Liverpool went to Old Trafford and on October 24th of this season, and we won 5-0. It was total domination from the fifth minute, Nabi Keita scoring uh, to open everything up to Mo Salah scoring in the 50th minute to clinch a historic 5-0 victory over always Manchester United. That's going to be a game, a moment, um, a 90 minutes that I am never going to forget. As long as I am a Liverpool fan, I'm going to savor that victory over the team that I despise the most. And I think that was a moment where I felt like this Liverpool team could do some special things this season. And even though they didn't win the quadruple and they didn't win the Champions League, I think this Liverpool team is one of the best that the club has ever seen. And that game is going to be a statement piece for them to hang their hats on for you know, their entire careers, everyone involved. So that's my personal moment of the season. I think my serious moment of the season is um, very similar to Caleb's. It is from February 26th of this year. Uh, it is a pre-match moment between Alexander Zinchenko and Vitaly Mikolenko at Goodison Park, where... Um, you know, the news of Ukraine being invaded by Russia was still very much fresh and shocking 
Um, it still is shocking. Um, it still is harrowing. But at this moment, it was extremely unpredictable, uh, the future of this nation. And in many ways, it still is. And these two men, you know, whose country, their home was thrown into absolute turmoil and unsafety. You know, they met in the middle of the, in the, middle of the pitch and they shared a deep pre-match hug you know, compassion, showing like the deepest human compassion and, you know, affection and care for one another. And it was a moment that, you know, I think brought tears to the eyes of the fans who witnessed it. Um, it certainly brought, you know, some tears to my eyes as well. I think, you know, these are, these soccer players in general are people that we kind of disassociate from humanity at times. And this was an incredibly deeply moving and human moment that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And I think it brought some some well needed visibility in terms of you know that certain that that event to to the sport in general. Yeah, my uh, my my moment of the season also has to do with visibility, and it is actually a Barcelona moment. Uh, it's when the Barcelona women's team pretty much destroyed the world record for most fans at a women's soccer game, uh, selling out Camp Nou above Camp Nou's official capacity getting almost 92,000 people uh, to see them defeat, really blow the brakes off of uh, Wolfsburg in the Champions League semifinals. I think it was really cool because typically, you know, Barcelona and Spain as a women's soccer landscape, uh, it, it's still very much growing. And, you know, their, their league added two teams last year, and it's certainly taking a little bit of a long time to get caught up to the level of France. Uh, but... It was really cool to see a completely sold out stadium to the point where if you just looked in, you would have assumed it was, you know, any, you know, Barcelona game on the men's side. Uh, and obviously Barcelona ended up losing in the Champions League final kind of shockingly, but they had some just gaudy numbers over the course of this year. So that was really cool for me. Uh, and then I guess like on a personal note, I enjoyed, you know, when Arsenal beat Spurs, the North London Derby 3-1, but it's hard to look back on that moment and think, you know, oh, how great it was because of the second North London Derby, which obviously did not finish uh, as well. So I think it's safe to say we can mail out a couple of uh, of Chia Pets to various locations across Europe. Yeah, wait, where do we send the Chia Pets for moments? To the stadium? That's a great question. We have to use um, the temporal rift, I think, to sort of like insert it into those moments, you know, in, in the timeline. Yeah, we have to do sort of an Avengers Endgame thing where we can bring the Chia Pet to that exact moment. Yeah, or it time. turns out that some of the grass on the pitches turns out to just be the top of Guardiola's head because the Chia Pet's been buried there. What? Well, because you're saying put the Chia Pet there. No, I'm no, saying the saying. Chia Pet has grass on its head. So it turns out that part of the, the field is the chia oh, pet is oh, there. Oh, oh, it's oh, been like okay. buried. Yeah. So no, it's always been there. Oh. Oh wow. Can you prove that it hasn't been there? No, you certainly cannot. It feel, this feels very tenant to me. I feel like it I'm, does feel very tenant. I was yeah. about to say it's a, it's a temporal pincer movement. Yeah. It's what's what, what's the line? What's happened has always happened. What's happened is like always been happening. What's happened happens. Yeah. What's, what's happened, dead happened. may never die. What, what's what's Chia Pat has. <laughs> okay, we we should wrap this. this. We're done. We're done. Yeah, we've kind of lost the plot. Yeah. But 
the good news is that you know starting on june or starting on july 1st when transfers start happening again officially we'll have a whole new season's worth of content to prepare for this edition next season uh and it's crazy but you know also i noticed today that or i saw a tweet that said um you know the world cup would normally have been starting tomorrow in a normal year so i'm kind of sad that we uh you know got robbed of, of, a, of a summer world cup wow that's wild and upsetting i got an ad in my gmail today for flights to to qatar are you are did you sign up for like notifications no i think i think gmail google just knows that i like soccer i got an ad email from qatar airways about the world cup oh wait a minute i got that same ad yeah i was just checking my uh my inbox because <laughs> I, I, that sounded familiar <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty bad um whatever here we are here we are all right well in that case we will bid you adieu we've got uh, a lot of work to do in terms of uh you know <laughs> uh mailing and finding these shipping addresses and, and buying chia pets uh you know i don't know where they're sold these days but rest assured we will let you know when they have been delivered but until next time i have been nathan strauss Caleb Reds. Nick Vinden. And we will catch you all. Uh, I guess next time we'll probably have to talk about some Nations League stuff, maybe some Madrid transfers, etc. So uh, stay tuned. For the next season of Corner Kick. Yeah. We're wrapping up. This is our season wrap up. So we'll catch you then. <laughs>